And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it's hard work being this good. I was like, ow. (laughs) (laughs) He sounded like a a big choo-choo train. We join the Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did that with not having any type of medication. (laughs) Jim, tell us about today's guest. Hernando Planels. He's associate head coach at Duke. Hernando has coached in high school, college. He's been in the pros, NBA. Scouting director with Marty Blake, right? Like years of scouting for Marty. And he's actually trained actors. Can you believe that? Hey, Coach Carter, remember Coach Carter? Absolutely. Yeah. You do those things, gentlemen, and I guarantee you, at the end of the game, we will be there. I'm going to actually see if I can get acting lessons yeah. from him afterwards, because I'm going to go in the acting business, I think. Hernando, good morning. How are you, sir? I am doing fantastic. I, I tell you, you guys made me sound like I can't hold a job. Been around, haven't you? Well, I, I keep fooling enough people into believing I know what I'm doing. That's that's what it comes down to, and, and I've, just, I've just been really lucky and blessed to just kind of be everywhere. And this is third year now as the associate head coach under Coach P at Duke. I really enjoy your website, man. Are you doing that? Are you, you do everything else. Are you putting that website together? It's fabulous. I do. I do. I, I had to, I've kind of just kept on re, trying reinventing myself and trying to learn all these different things and build momentum. And I get different coaches to write on, on the blogs about motivation and also about being a father. You know, the website is always BeContagious.com. We got to get people getting energy and, and how do you do that and how do you move forward and how do you do maintaining a culture. And, and the big thing we always try and tell people is, you know, it's funny, a lot of athletes you know, 30 years later, after they've been coached, are always like, gosh, you know, I know why my head coach is hard on me. You know, he hated me. He was on me. I hated him. And only now I, I, I love him. I thank him. And I love to bridge that gap to get it closer instead of waiting 30 years to understand why your your coach was on you. You talk about energy, positive energy. You know, you got books out there that talk about the energy takers, energy givers, the energy boss, John Gordon. Vampires. And building a culture. So tell me this, even basketball season being long seasons, what do you do to consistently get positive energy within your program at Duke? you, you got to have fun. I, I, I understand this is a high-pressure industry, but at the end of the day, you know, our, our student-athletes, um, they are millennials in many ways, and, and we cannot coach and teach them the same way that, that we have been taught and coached ourselves. Um, so a lot of things that we do, we do a lot of improv games because I do have a background working with different actors and on different movies. Um, I realize that, that actors and, and athletes do the same thing. You know, they, actors uh, prepare and rehearse, and so do athletes. And, you know, actors, they have their performance, which is either on stage or on the big screen, and, and so do, do athletes. And then they also get critiqued by the media after their performance, and our, our players get critiqued by coaches, parents, etc. Um, so we use a lot of kind of improv and laughter in our environment, um, and which, which keeps things loose, but it also forces them to be uncomfortable, but then they understand that they can actually morph into something they thought they could never be. So you can have a student athlete who's really quiet, but through improv, you bring things that are out of them, um, where they they become loud and vocal and can become a leader. Um, and for that, it builds their self-confidence and, and helps them as they move on, not only with the season, but also, you know, in their life. That's an interesting uh, analogy between acting and, and the game, because you think about it, you, you run plays, 
and then you react to what the defense does and you improv. A lot of, you know, from ESPN, from the media, they look at, oh, this coach, look at the great X's and O's that he or she has done. The reality is, is you know, we, we're just putting it down on the paper. They're the ones that have to take into action and make it believable and make it their own. And I think that sometimes the disconnect is that we want our student athletes to take what we do and and make it a part of them when the reality is they have to mold themselves and what the coach wants together. And then what you could have is just a, a bigger, better type of product. Give me this and give me an example of an improv. What you would do, maybe on the floor and off the floor with your team. Do an improv with Jim. Can you do one with Jim Hernando? We <laughs> we could. One of the things we we use uh, it's it's a game called One Word, and and really you're having a one word conversation with each other. Um, now the way usually people will do Jim it, has yeah. these with his wife a lot, Hernando. <laughs> <laughs> and then I zip, and then I go the outside word is, and the go word is out, 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 out. That's her. Out. Yeah, and I, I use two words this. after that. I say yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> he should be great at this. Go ahead. Well, that's the thing, you know. So, so with this with this one word, and what we do with the, with our team, and we and I and I, I do. I'm lucky enough to travel around the country and talk to different sports programs and businesses, and and really, what we found is that the less people say, the more they want to say. So, for example, if let's say if you have your team, the beginning of the season, you want to give them a topic, and and you make something loose. So you say, hey, I want you to talk about your favorite college team, and they may say Duke, and the other person may say horrible, and the other person may you know come back and say love, and then they're having this conversation about about their favorite college team, and then once they get that done, you move it to all right. Now we're going to talk about the upcoming season. What do you feel about the upcoming season? So now you'll hear words such as happy, excited, win, championship, and because they feel great. Come December, when some people aren't playing or the team isn't doing well, you ask them the same question, or you ask them how is the season going or how is practice going. Then as a coaching staff and as, as teammates, you hear words such as frustrated, upset, understanding. And those are the times when you really have to gather your team together and get them close and say, okay, these are things that are happening, and, and we've got to do our best to get this person back into the fold so that we, we maintain a good, strong culture. Um, Dale Lair, who used to be the co- head coach at Liberty and uh, now is the assistant coach for the Greensboro team in the NBA D-League, he always said um, assistant coaches watch the players when the head coaches talk. The players who don't laugh at the head coach's jokes are the ones that are having the issue. Um, so we, we try and catch it ahead of time, and that's one word is one of them. Um, and we, I mean, there's a, a variety that, that we do to try and keep them loose and, and get them going and kind of get them talking. What, what if somebody, if you're in the room and you're talking about how's the season going, the one word, and they give you, you know, disappointed, upset, whatever, whatever that might be, do you, as a coach, recommend that they should handle it right there in the meeting and dive deeper into it, or is that something they just allow them to continue to go and then maybe have an individual meeting with that particular player to find out really what's going on? I think it's really it's, it's individual. Now, the, the, the interesting part is that usually with men's teams, you can have the conversation right then and there. Um, because men, uh, in terms of teams, are open to each other and talking. When you coach a women's team, you have to go ahead and really take them individually because they don't like the spotlight on them. 
And they all, you know, I get this all the time. But like, well, you know, it's that's not the best statement to say because you got treated everybody equally. But the reality is, you have to know your audience. And and I heard the uh, the UNC soccer coach. He coached the men and women's team for ten years, and he realized that that men and women take information differently. So for men, you could have that conversation right there, or you could put them, you know, have them a closed door meeting, but. I would suggest if you're coaching women, it's better to have a closed-door meeting first and then from there address it as a whole, as a team, um, and then see where other people lay. You know, you talk about the millennials, and you say when that word's mentioned, people like think it's a virus or something you know, of that nature, and you give statistics of how really impactful they're going to be in the workplace, and millennials are pretty much 100% of what you're coaching today, and a lot of coaches, we coach the way we have been coached. So what would you say, like, you know, you see the millennials, you work with them on a daily basis. What are the things that they do and the keys for coaches to be able to connect with them and have success coaching them? Well, I think the first thing is that you have to understand, you know, what they want um, and, and how they live. Uh, they, they absolutely want to hear about your experience. So <clears throat> experiences. As, as coaches, we love talking about our experiences and who we coach and everything else. But they want experience, but they want to take the, the next step forward. They also want to participate in the learning process, which means they do enjoy learning. Now, you may think they're not paying attention, but they are paying attention to everything and anything that you say and do. Um, images are big, which is why they're big on social media, and that's why they're always on the phone. Um, and as much as a lot of coaches believe that millennials are rude, they really want to connect with you. But they just don't want to connect with you on a you know, basketball or, or coaching level. They want to connect with you on all levels of your life. I came across this one statistic that says that millennials are more likely to add uh, management coaches, their bosses. 80-90% of them are, are going to want to add you on social media. Um, where in the past, we've always said you must separate your, 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 basically your private life and your work life. They want to know everything because that's how they get to know you better and actually get closer to you. Um, and they do that with social media. I think um, a lot of coaches always talk about that, oh, my player is on the phone all the time. All you guys is look at the phone all the time. They hear that all the time. You know? But they want to know more, okay, this is how we live. How can we connect better that way? Um, I think the other thing that you've got to give instant feedback. I mean, millennials want to improve. You know, they want to improve. So you do that by giving feedback right away. Now, I know coaches say, well, I don't have time for that. I've got to focus on the team and the team alone and the team concepts. And I understand that. The other part, though, is that if you give them feedback, they will figure out how they can go ahead and mold with the team and go from there. They also want to collaborate. You know, they, it, a lot of people try and make people compete against each other. Now, it has work with student-athletes, yes. But if we take it to a step further, a lot of people want to know how we can work together. And the reason why they want to work together is because, unfortunately, they were all given trophies when they were growing up. So now it's how can we um, collaborate instead of compete. Now, you can bring some competitive energy up, and you can teach them. And I'm not saying coaches go away from everything they've done um, or what they do. I'm saying pay a little more attention to your audience, see what gets them tick, 
and move in that direction. So you say they don't compete as hard because of like participation medals and things. The stuff you have down here, all these <laughs> yeah, medals down here. He's got Hernando. He's got medals. Nice that you his made fun here. of my participation medals. <laughs> that's, Jim, right. that's wonderful. I don't. I don't think kids are as hard as we were. You know what I mean on the floor. I just don't think mm-hmm. they're quite as tough. They're not. They're 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 not. They, they but they don't see it that way. They see just a different type of toughness. I mean, here it is, guys. They they were born with a cell phone in their hands. Right? They, I mean, if you look at everybody now, no one looks out the window when they're driving. Right? You got kids in the back. Everybody got a TV now, right. and they're watching it. My son, by the way, my son was like all upset today because I was driving and he wouldn't. He messed up this morning and had not a good attitude, had negative energy. So I said, "No, you're not watching the iPad. You're not doing any of that." And he was very, very upset. And I said, "You can earn it back tomorrow." But he wanted the iPad. He didn't want to look out the window, Hernando. Yep, no, they, they, and they never do. And, and the other thing to really think about this, and, and um, Simon Sinek really, I watch a couple of his things, and, and, and he talks about how there's dopamine levels in our brain, and I'm not very smart. I finished school online, so I'm not very smart when it comes to all this stuff and, and brains and releasing dopamine. But the dopamine part of your brain, it releases a very addictive um, personality. That's why people are alcoholics or they lean on something. And electronics do the exact same thing. So what tends to happen is that kids' dopamine levels are at a high. Because if you notice, a lot of millennials now, they want to be stimulated over and over and over again. There is no downtime. Right. That's why they play with electronics. Right. So these dopamine levels are being released over and over and over again, which causes, I mean, there's a lot of proof now that people that were diagnosed with ADHD aren't really ADHD. They just have high levels of dopamine being released into their brain. So when Jim's taking that iPad away from that three-year-old, it's like a, it's like a junkie, isn't it? He's like, he needs his fix. And it is. Yeah. It is. It wow. Is. I mean, it is crazy. I never thought really of it like hey, that. But going back to what Hernando was saying, though, the competitive part. You Your even, kids in the backseat shaking like John Daly. But, Go but, ahead. but even think today, like back in the day when you used to have, say, the Pistons playing the Bulls and they were competing with Jordan and the, the bad boys, they would not, like, hang out with each other. Yeah. They would not go in the locker room and shake hands and, and do that type of stuff. Now and today you see these athletes, even they're competing against each other, they're like friends. and they're, they're more friends. They work out together. And it goes all the way down to the high school and AAU part of it. Right. You know, you're, you're playing all these games. You get to know all these different kids. I mean, we had a, a young lady, Jada Adams, from California, committed to us. And, of course, you know, everyone tweets everything out. So she tweeted that she's committed to Duke, and she got over 200 um, congratulatory tweets, right? And about 150 of them were from players from all around the country that she has met and played against on the AAU circuit. You know, congratulating, hey, congratulations, you're going to Duke, you're going to do big things, all, you know, being very nice. You know, that would have never happened even five years ago, ten years ago. You know, if, if you know, ten years ago they would hear that Jada goes to Duke, I mean, people are, are going to say, really? Why is she going there? I mean, there would be some, some hatred in there. And, and now it's not. Now it's like, hey, you go do your thing. You're going to be great. You're going to do all this. And What and about UConn? Is there hatred for UConn in women's college? Do you, do you got to get them fired up to play UConn? You know what? I, I think, unfortunately, there is hatred when people keep winning. And yeah. and personally, I mean, I love winners. At the end of the day, it's it, our society is trained to to love the underdog mm-hmm. and hate winners. So, as a coach, you don't millennials. 
and they're not as competitive. I know when I played back in the day, I mean, our coaches would be like in us trying to get us to fight each other. Life or death. You know, yeah, it's like battle. So what do you? What suggestions can you give coaches today of how to make practices competitive to get the kids to compete, but also to connect with the millennials for what they want in regards to the things that you talked about? Well, I, I think a lot of coaches – always say from day one, we are going to be a program of competition, but we always fall short of that. And, and it, it could be for a variety of things. So I would, you know, I would tell coaches that you want to put together your, your seven drills, seven to 10 drills that you do, you change them up every day, but they're all based on competition. And, and what you do is that at the end of practice, you put up the point total um, of each te- of each player or each team up on the board. Okay, you don't. The coaches don't have to say anything. They have to go take the players get up there and they take a look at it. Because then what you'll find is you'll find the players coming up to the board saying, "Oh, look at me. I'm at I'm at whatever point. Seven points. Ten points. Oh, look at so and so. He's at twenty five. You know, how can I get there? That that starts testing them, and it starts for them to go ahead and, and start having that internal competition because everyone has an internal clock. Now, the ones who will back down because there's always players who, who will not rise that occasion, those are the ones where the coaches have to come around and say, hey, look, this is, this is what you can do. Let me show you different ways that you can go ahead and, and, and make this happen. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast with, uh, with Harbaugh, the head coach at Michigan, the football coach, and, and he talked about competition. He said, and, and during Halloween – this is what he does in Halloween. He tells all his kids, all right, you have one costume and you have a backup costume. Use the one costume to go around the neighborhood getting the candy as much as you can. You sprint to every house to get as much candy as you can. You come back home, you change, change. into your second costume, and you do it again. That's Jim Harbaugh, baby. Oh, God. You know, so... So, so it's it's that, but it but it becomes a lifestyle. You know, it, it really, really becomes a lifestyle that everything is based on competition. Now, if you're a high school coach and college coach, you're going to get fight from the parents. Why is this the way it is? And and the best thing I say, look, this is we're doing this because because of that. So it really is figuring out your audience, what they do well, what drills you think could do very well for competition, and then posting it, letting them see it, and then coming behind and coaching them up. You know, success is definitely about processes. And you look at Alabama football, Nick Saban, and they are so great at the process. Day-to-day, becoming the best you can be. What is the best approach to getting kids to understand the process and stay focused on that day in and day out? I, I believe that in order to know the process, you must understand the rules of that process. And once you understand the rules of that process, then you could find the ways to bend and possibly break those rules so the process can be sped up. For example, if you're in practice, it's a two-hour practice, and you're sitting here, you're taking a look at your practice plan, we have to do all these different things to go get things done. A lot of coaches believe you have to repetition, 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 and that's absolutely correct. right? But how do we go ahead and we say, well, how do we get them to have better muscle memory? How do we have refined movements, more efficiency? Um, that is the key thing, I think, when it, when it comes to coaches, but also understanding what the process is. Now, how to get the kids to understand that? The kids want instant gratification, but they also want to know where they are going. Giving millennials instant feedback makes them know and believe that everything they do is worth it. Okay? We have we st- parents, coaches, bosses, 
they say the same thing. They say things like, well, I want you to do this, and the athlete or coworker will ask, well, why? Well, because this is the way we are going to do it, and I want you to do it just because. You can't win millennials that way. They want to know what's in it for them. All right, once they know what's in it for them, then they can give back to the team. What's the sample of the instant uh, you know, feedback? So it, it could be real simple. It could be something, well, if they come out of the game, you know, if, if they come out of a game, you're telling them, we all say, you know, box them out, move your feet. But we must also remember it's how we justify what they're saying, okay? So what's going to happen right away is when you give someone feedback, they are going to already be in a negative stance because you may have said something like, no, or why aren't you understanding? You still can't get it, and we do this over and over and over again. Your head's not in the game. It's, it's, it's changing our words a little bit. Say, hey, listen, um, I see you moving your feet to try and box out. And when you move your feet, keep your hands up so now you could explode to go get the rebound. See, that instant feedback gives them, you justified what they did. Whether, you, whether they did a good job or not, you are allowing them to feel okay. They feel safe. And now you're giving them the coaching point on how they're going to get that rebound. Um, and it changes our language. You know, there, there, another improv game is, is, is called yes and. And the reason why we say yes and is because all of us say the words no, and they fall with no but or no you can do this. We've got to remember that we, we were programmed at such a young age that the word no is a bad word. There's a, you know, I don't know if you guys, you guys have to watch Anthony Robbins. It's called I'm Not Your Guru. On yeah, I've seen that's really good. Why were you suicidal? It's because I can feel very big states in life, but I can go so deep that I don't find a way out. I know you right now. You got a lot to give. Can you feel me? I do. You and I are going to make a deal. I'm going to show you what to do to reshape yourself. How is it that people can make lasting changes in minutes? What makes that possible? Now you got to make sure that uh, you, you got a parent guide. It's on that with a few of the words he says, but yeah, it's it's excellent. You know, he didn't used to cut. I saw him live, Hernando. Like at a, I was at a radio station, and the boss made us go see Tony Robbins, and I didn't want to go. I was like, I don't need motivational speech. I didn't want to see it. I he had me standing yeah. up clapping. He had me hypnotized in like thirty minutes. Yeah. And I was walking. He'll, he'll, do, he'll do whatever to break your state. He'll I was like shallow Hal. I, I, I was like shallow Hal. He had me. He's an amazing. Tender up your pattern. Like go back, go back though. When you're saying the yes, tell me the game you're talking about. You said yes, and so it's called yes and. Okay, yes and. Let's try this. Okay. okay. So the point is, is to always say yes and. Um, so I could say something like, you know, Jim, I, th- I think I want to have a party. Yes and. Now, when you say yes and, you also add something to that. So okay. Say, All right. Yes, <laughs> yes and. Can I can I bring some food to it? Yes, and I'd also like to go ahead and invite the whole convalescent home community. Yes, and do we got to get a bigger home or bigger space? Or we got to build onto it because I don't know if we can fit them all in. 
yes, we'll have to get a bigger space and also diapers. Well, yes, and are we trying to get the high and dries? Are we trying what kind of diapers are we going to get? Because I don't want I don't high want to wet dry. too much and, yeah, and get on the carpet. The high and dry. Hey, yeah, you know, you know, there you go with it. Keep going, Orlando. Come on, baby. Now, now, Jim, you you did a great job. Nice. Okay, you did a great job. When I do this talk, I also tell them, I said, hey, this would work great with your spouses or any type of relationship you're in. I'll yeah. try with my wife tonight, actually. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of history, Jim, so good luck. <laughs> so, there's, so there's that, and, and, and you get them to, to, to really buy in and because they, they hear the yes. You know, the, the key yeah. thing is yes. They're like, oh, I feel, oh, I feel, unfortunately, they want to feel great. I feel great. She said yes, or he said yes. And then the coaching point or whatever the point you want to get across comes across, and then you're guiding the conversation to where you want it to go. Coach Hernando, now you were involved in all sorts of different things. When I read your bio, I was amazed. You, you trained, thought he made it up, You actually. trained athletes for extreme dodgeball. You're going to learn to be true dodgeballers. Then you've got to learn the five D's of dodgeball. What, did you give them the, what is it, the five D's of dodgeball? Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Well, they're avoiding the wrenches and stuff, too. <laughs> you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What? Oh, oh. <laughs> you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. What the hell do you teach these guys the extreme oh, dodgeball? Well, that, you know, so there was, there's basically two sports that I've so-called coached. Um, that that really that that question you just asked me or always ask it was extreme dodgeball and a TV show of a sport called slam ball which was full contact that was on Spike TV and, yep. and we'll get to that but extreme dodgeball <laughs> on the game show network yes yeah, so so it, it it was it was a TV show and so it was a a four day kind of high intense. Um, <laughs> high intense type of um, training camp for for every participant in the league, so which was hilarious because you know a lot of them came from from playing in a Sunday league of dodgeball and where they go and drink a six pack of beer, smoke a <laughs> cigarette, <laughs> and, and then oh, they, they show up oh, and they're God. like, "Are yeah. you are you kidding me?" We uh, we had you know the variety sizes of, of the dodgeballs, the different red balls, and then we had cones and we had like a a, a speed gun to see how fast they can throw, and and there's some footage online you can find where there were about three or four people who threw up. You know, there it was. After what? Being hit the in beer. the stomach you with drink a ball. A case of cigarettes. What do you expect? We, you throw them in. You like you know dodging techniques, and you have them. Now, does Coach P hilarious. know about all this? Is, oh, did man. Coach P know that you were extreme dodgeball coach before you, she hired you, or did you did you keep it from her and then tell her once she got to know that you were a great basketball coach? How'd that work out? No, she she does. I, I actually. Um, I, I I got the job because basically I would work Coach K's and Coach P's camp uh, every summer. I got fired from my job in Japan. My I moved and, and I got the job with Mari Blake, the you know director scout of the NBA, and I could move anywhere in the country. And I decided to move here. I didn't know anybody, had no job, and and and, then, and at the time I was married, um, so moved here and. Uh, and it kind of worked, you know, both camps. And I ended up working Coach P's camp a little bit more. And um, she knew all the different things. And when I went to a coach with the Celtics D-League team in Maine, that's where she's from, I met her family. And, and I kind of hung out with them and, and worked out her nieces. And then a year later, they said, uh, I saw her again at camp. And she said, um, oh, Hernando, I've got a great low-paying, non-coaching <laughs> job on my staff. Yeah. 
And and I said, this is this is great. I I just came back from a little stint in the Philippines, and 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 the crazy thing is that I I had never finished my college degree. Okay, so this was this is my fifth year at Duke. So that, that was four years ago. I'd never finished my college degree, and I you know I'd, I'd always was able to go off my experience. So. I went to Las Vegas Summer League, the NBA Summer League, trying to get one more time and to, to latch on with somebody. And uh, and Duke called me and said, hey, you know what, Coach P wants to hire you. Are you done with your degree? I said, no, I'm not. They said, well, we can't hire you. And that was it. Thought about it, called their back and said, well, how much time do I have? She said, well, you have five weeks. I said, okay. And I had finished two classes. I'd finished statistics class and a, uh, a speech class. Ooh, stats is tough. That's tough. <laughs> Oh, it's horrible. And and I ended up uh, uh, finishing in five weeks. She hired me. Uh, I got my first paycheck. I probably cussed myself out. What am I doing with my life? Um, Because my job was director of relations. I I was with the team. I was in all the team meetings. I wasn't a coach. Um, But I tweeted all day, and I sold her book. Uh, But I got my feet wet with women's basketball. It's my first women's basketball coaching job. And then six months later, uh, somebody left and, and they moved me up. You know, choice not chance. By the way, the name of the book is that right? Yes, choice yeah, not chance. Ding, 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 got it. Probably. Troy did his homework. And what does choice not chance mean in your program? Well, I mean that everything is a choice. You know, things just don't happen by chance. I think it's 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 very funny how when things don't go in our way, we justify them. We said, well, it's not necessarily meant to be, and and I do believe that. But at the same time, too, we are also. Um, stopped by fear. We, we, we do not do things because we're afraid. We tend to want to know the end of the story before reading the book. And reading the book means that you have to go ahead and live life. You know, you have to take chance after chance after chance. I, I tell everyone, my whole life was, was taking a chance on myself. I, I had kids very young, and I've, uh, my son is Preston, my daughter is Gabby, and, and I had a choice. I either went ahead and wanted to work in insurance and get the, you know, what they call the stable job that my parents wanted and, 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 their, and my kid's mom wanted, or I'd take a chance on me and, and, and find different jobs and reinvent what I do and really believe that I'm here on earth for a purpose. Um, and, and it took a long time. I was on unemployment 18 times. I was fired four times. Um, I've been on Craigslist looking for jobs over and over again. I've sent thousands of emails, um, but all in the same time, just chasing, um, you know, a dream of mine uh, that that I wanted to get somewhere close to, and and um, and never given up. Hernando, you're a beautiful human being. Thank yeah. you for your time. I can't believe I'm going to say it, but go Duke. Uh, <laughs> enjoy the game tonight, and good luck the rest of the season with Coach P. And uh, I hope you win the national championship this year. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on. I truly, truly appreciate it. Renato, take care and God bless, buddy.